said, we're going to take two weeks off. It's going to be super relaxing. And then I broke myself. You broke yourself. So let me tell everybody the story. Well, should we welcome everyone to Faded Mates first or should we banter first? No, welcome everyone to Faded Mates season five. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I am Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor and kind of klutz, if we're going to be real honest. Well, you're not in pieces anymore because you've been, I've been surgically fixed. put back together. I'm a bionic like woman Humpty right now. Dumpty. <laughs> so basically, everybody, here's what happened. Okay, I'm going to also tell you this is like a true story. So I am going to blame, I'm blaming myself, obviously. I'm not suing anyone. I, I Although several people have suggested I should, which I, I want what? you to know. I, I, no. This is all my fault everyone but don't bring that down uh, upon yourself the universe won't love that no that's not right so anyway here's the funny part i forgot until i looked at my photo my camera roll this morning the day before i left to take little romance back to college my colleague wayne who is the science teacher had a new skeleton delivered to school a lot about this by the way like did you know that like back in the day like your high school skeleton probably was a real skeleton now they're fake and i was super grossed out by this whole entire story wayne's telling and me and they about just this. come from medical schools like the medical they I, just like they finished dissecting them in gross anatomy by the way did you love that movie when you were young because i loved that movie oh, when i, I did was love young. that movie when i was and young. matthew modine like oh ha- like modine. he look every blonde hero i've ever written and i know like grown men don't have blonde hair like <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but part of the reason why I have written several blonde heroes is because of Matthew Modine. Fair. So thanks, Fair. Gross Anatomy. Anyway. So anyway. Skeletons come from there. Skeletons Horrifying. now are fake. Wayne, I went away to a meeting and came back to my desk. Everybody can look down and you'll see this right now. Wayne set up the skeleton at my desk, put on my headphones, my Northwestern hat, and like had it like playing with my mouse. And I just saw this in my photo roll and was like, Wayne, did you put some kind of like horror movie whammy on me? Like you set up a skeleton at my desk and the next day I broke my arm. Wait, so were you going to sue Wayne? No, I'm not suing anybody. I'm suing my own self for being a dummy. I don't think that would hold up in court. I think Wayne is like a horror novel in action. Wayne, Wayne cursed, cursed me with a fake skeleton. Listen, Wayne <laughs> orders bugs in boxes, right? Wayne that sometimes has boxes of eyeballs delivered. I mean, what are these kids doing in science? I don't know. <laughs> uh, wait, so wait. If I remember correctly from my human physiology class in 11th grade, there are two bones in your forearm. There are. And one of them is called the, the radius and the ulna. I broke See, the radius. I was going to show off. But. Well, I did not know. I, I've learned a lot. So basically, everybody. Which one is that? Is the radius on the inside or the, the thumb side or here, the other side? I'm gonna, I don't know where it is, but I'm going to tell you what it does. Somebody out there. Is like screaming at the radio. I know. Radio I'm sorry, right everybody. I'll, everybody, if you put your arm straight out right now with your hand down, and now just like r- rotate your arm so that your hand is up. What does yeah. that is the radius, like that bone that allows you to essentially just like. Oh boy, that feels important. It does feel important. That's why they said I needed surgery and not a cast because if they just put a cast on it and it didn't heal right, I wouldn't be able to, you know, turn my arm, which feels important for things like driving, cooking, blood hand jobs. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's a deep cut from season three. <laughs> that is a deep cut from season three. People are rediscovering that blood hand job all the time, though. And oh, I think somebody it's tweeted about it yesterday, yes. and it was chef's kiss yeah so everybody here's what really happened though if you're you're like okay i now know about the break i know about wayne i know about the skeletons in the classroom what you don't know is the way i broke my arm which is i was at so little Rome. i took little romance to college mr reed's romance went to california because his sister had a baby and so he was going to see her and the baby it's a very good looking baby oh it's a beautiful baby and so I was like, you go, I will take Little Romance to college. And so we arrived in Hartford, Connecticut on Thursday night. And on Friday, we were going to do our shopping. We went to Target. We went to World Market. We bought a rug. We bought all this stuff. And then we were almost done. We had to go to the, like, Sephora because he needed, like, facial cleanser or whatever. And uh, there was a Nordstrom at the mall. And I thought, well, I look at these cute shoes. I saw someone wearing these really cute platform Doc Martin sandals. Oh, you're too old for platforms. I certainly am because I tried <laughs> them on. And you, you know, and you know what the thing is, like, you know, they're too loose because they're the wrong size and you don't really tighten the straps all the way because they're so like stiff when they're new. And I just was like, so I took like one, literally one step and fell on my face and put my hands out to break my fall. And that is how I broke my radius. And you got what Kate Claiborne's husband (laughs) refers to as uh, a foosh. A foosh. Fracture. Which means falling on outstretched hand. Yeah. So way to go, medicine. I know. I'm like, thank you very much. So I spent a lot. Okay, here's my other little piece of advice, everybody. I went to urgent care. I was in Connecticut. I didn't know where I was going. Mistakes were made. If you think there is any risk that you have a broken bone, you should just go to the ER. I wasted a lot of time in urgent care. Because they can't set the leg. In urgent care. I've been kind of beating myself up about this, and I, like, you know how it's hard, but a lot, if I had been here, I would have, all the urgent cares in Chicago are, like, related to the hospital. Oh, really? You don't have, like, urgent, just general, like, get your flu shot urgent care? They do, but I wouldn't go to them, right? I go to the University of Chicago urgent care or Northwestern urgent care, and then you're, like, in the hospital system. So, anyway. I ended up at the Hartford ER. I spent 10 hours in the ER. Oh, wait. Here's another really funny story. Mr. Reed's Romance, as I said, was in California and was like, should I come? And I was like, no, it's fine. Like, we're fine. Sarah came the next day and rescued me. But that night, Little Romance took me to the ER. Like, he, we went to the Hartford Hospital at, like, 8 p.m. And we just valeted, parked the car. Because I was like, I don't know where we are. Just park. There's a valet. Just park the valet. But then it became very clear that I was going to be there all night. (laughs) And I, in fact, was there until 6 a.m. So around 11 p.m., I'm texting him. Of course, it's still COVID protocols, right? They wouldn't let him in with me, which I, you know, I understand. But I was like, I want you to go back to the hotel. I don't want you. I was like stressing out about my college-age son just like hanging out in a place I didn't know in the – and they wouldn't even let him in the waiting room. It was like wait outside, So anyway, I went to the nurse and I was like, I want my son to go home, but I have the valet ticket. So I give the guy the valet ticket and $100 in cash because if you valeted at a hospital in Chicago, it would probably be $50 an hour, right? So 
the guy looks at me and he looks at this money and he is like, okay. So he just goes out and finds little romance and gives him this. And then like 10 minutes later, I get a text from him. That's like, mom, it was $6. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) You valet parked the car for four hours. How could it be $6? Thank you. So that was the one thing that went my way. Thank you, Hartford Hospital for deeply affordable valet. (laughs) I'm sure the rest of it will not be economical, but here we are. Well, but fun fun side note, we did get to see each other. I got to help move Lil Romance into his room. Yes. Lil Romance has an adorable roommate. <gasps> an adorable roommate. Yes. Had an adorable family. Now listen, what we learned here was also that like, you know, Adorable roommates bring large amounts of family members to immediately turn their yeah. their room into Bed Bath & Beyond. It was so cute. <laughs> it was right? amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> Little romance was like, it's fine. I'll just live out of boxes for three weeks. <laughs> but the roommate was great. And she had already unpacked. I know. Three books that were on her desk. Because, as she said, I'm trying to be a reader now. So we are going to send, that you guys were going to send a and box Colleen of books. And Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us was one of them. And then it was Lucy Score, right? It was Lucy Foley, oh. at, who writes a great mystery. Okay. Yeah. And so we were like, listen, so Jen had a lot, immediately was going to just talk at this girl about what books she should read. And okay, but I was injured, everybody. It's fine. Sarah redirected me. I was... I was like, <laughs> it's going to be fine. We're going to help. But anyway, we're sending little romances Amazing roommate, a box of great romances. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Because that is what we do as fairy godmothers to (laughs) college-age children. Sprinkle these books throughout the dorm. Listen, team, (laughs) if you have a college-age, a college student who is reading books on TikTok, Jen and I have a plan for you this year. Yeah. Oh, look, sequitur. Look how it's going. Perfect. So season five is basically just going to continue to be our normal bullshit, (laughs) right? Like... The same bullshit, yeah. It's just every episode will start with banter. Hopefully nobody will break a bone. We are going to continue with Trailblazers because we love them and we know you all love them. By the way, thank you to everybody who filled out our listener survey last year. Yes. Almost 2,000 people. It was amazing. Filled out our listener survey. Um, So thank you so much for giving 10 minutes to us and telling us about, you know, what you like and don't like about us. We're trying not to be too hurt. <laughs> no. Uh, generally, you were all amazing. Um, so, but we know you all love Trailblazers, and that's great because we do too, and we were planning to do more of them anyway. But now we're all on the same page. Everybody gets a win. Perfect. Um, we will continue to do interstitials. We already have, like, dozens of topics for yes. interstitials. But as you know, you can always uh, text us. Oh, text us. I mean, don't text us because I don't answer most of my texts. So, <laughs> the um, but... <laughs> You can either uh, Twitter us, tweet us, sure. at Faded Mates, or Instagram us at Faded Mates Pod, and tell us if there's an interstitial you really want. And you can be sort of, you know, obscure even. If there's a microtrope you really love, um, we are here for you, or at least we'll try to be. We have plans for some cool interviews coming. Yes. We have... Plans for some deep dives, our first deep dive of the season, which is probably two weeks from now, but we wanted to announce it. We announced it at the end of last season, but we're going to officially announce it now on breaking the In Case of Emergency box, (laughs) and we are reading Marrying Winterborn. Yes. And 
I cannot wait to understand <laughs> all of the references uh, that everyone makes on Twitter. And I'm fully prepared to just be laid low by Reese. You uh, um, uh, Appropriate. Yes. It's going to be an amazing. I'm so excited. I can't wait. So that is our first read. You can get it literally everywhere books are sold. Yes. So order it now. And it is a terrific audiobook, too, which we've said. Our Mary Jane Wells, our favorite, is does a great Welsh accent, and it's real hot. So highly recommended oh, I love it. if you're an audiobook person. Can't wait. Um, but we're also doing this other thing, which is if you liked... Then you should read. Yes. And so, Jen, explain it. I guess one of the things I would like us to talk about is, like, we are... This episode is just first episode of the season, you guys. There's We'll talk about books, but... We're going to talk about the August 23rd buzzsaw. That's what I've been calling it. (laughs) This is... There's a really interesting thing that has been said about romance for a long time, right? Which is, like, romance kind of keeps the lights on, right? Like, that basically, like, so... When... When romance is hot, so many books are being sold by the romance genre that it essentially is, like, keeping, like, the rest of publishing sort of afloat. And this has been a, um, like, also one of those things, though, where, you know, people are kind of like, wait, really? Right? Like, I think there's a lot of people that question, like, the math of that. Now, the other big thing we saw this summer was the PRH, right, versus DOJ trial, um, where essentially the Department of Justice is suing to prevent Penguin Random House from acquiring Simon & Schuster. And that was a really fascinating trial. We'll try and find a good explainer, um, because the trial itself was just a really fascinating look into kind of the world of publishing. You know, you had lots of people on the stand answering questions about the business of publishing, and it was just really fascinating. I I can't say more than that because I am not smart enough to even understand half the time what they were talking about, right? There's a lot of numbers. There's a lot of talk being thrown around. A lot of- And so much interesting data that we haven't seen before or at least never – doesn't usually see the light of day. Things like – Something like 90% of all published books sell fewer than 2,000 copies. Right, right. Which is a fascinating, it's fascinating when you start thinking about, like, what this industry is, how it was built, what it is supposed to do, the way we think about it. You know, I think one of the things that, I don't know if it's good or bad. I think it's probably bad, but I don't know. I mean, tell us, but... You know, one of the things that I keep thinking about and I've talked about here is this, like, mythology of publishing as a public service. Yes. Right? Like, there's a, you know, and I love that. In the, I mean, I'm a writer. Of sure. course I love that. Libraries are a public service. Like, books should be free, available free to whoever wants them yes. through, their, through a public service. But the truth is, publishing is a business. Yeah. And, you know, it, the trial put that, front and center. And I think it really shook up a lot of us in a lot of ways. It shook up people who work for publishers. It shook up artists and authors and, you know, everybody kind of had no choice but to stare at publishing as a business for a little while. I think, well, and of course, as a reader, right, it's very clear that publishing is a business 
Right, but it's not my business, right? That's not your business. And and I mean that in both ways. It's not your business capital B, nor is it your business lowercase b. Like you just need the books to arrive in your yes, life. Yes, exactly. So it's also really fascinating to kind of watch a trial about something you're deeply invested in kind of emotionally, right? Does that make sense? Well, you know, I've spent I spend a lot of time, right, saying and I think about this a lot on Twitter in general, like and in in social media, the way social media has changed the industry, right? Yeah. has made me think a lot about like not in front of the kids, right? Like right. don't <laughs> there are so many people who don't need to know how the sausage is made, yes. right? Like right. And obviously that's different if like you're you've made a like if you've made a book and there's some terrible stuff that's happened during the making of that book then obviously that's a different thing but like in general you don't need to know all the minutia of what it takes to put a Sarah McLean novel on the shelf right um I want it to be a little magical for you and that published that uh, trial did not it was not magical <laughs> in a lot of ways the publishing relies on like breakout hits to to make money because once you start paying people like, you know, essentially like we think you can sell this much, right? Like it's more of a, like a steady bet, right? Like we're going to pay you this advance because we think you can sell this much, but like a huge breakout hit that can just sell like gangbusters is of course just like, you know, money in. And I thought that was just like a really interesting way. Like, I I mean, and of course, if you're in publishing, you're probably like, well, duh, but right. As a reader, it just, I, it just, it just seems so backwards in some ways that like big advances don't necessarily guarantee big sales. And of course, a lot of the discussion in the trial was about like people getting those really big advances. And that's not really necessarily something that is that, I mean, you know, most romance authors are not in that bucket. So right. it also felt in a lot but of ways, like it just felt like, I don't know, like publishing is like a different story for different people, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, and what's interesting about that, and it goes to this conversation that, you know, every once in a while, someone in romance is like, are we sure romance yeah. keeps the lights on? Right. And it's interesting because Colleen Hoover came up again and again and again in that trial. Of right? course. And when you look at, we're going to talk about August 23rd, Allie Hazelwood had a book out that, that yeah. week. Like Emily Henry has been just like crushing it over the sure. pandemic, you know, Christina Lauren Mm -hmm. also. So, and I think that there is, what was fascinating about that is from, through the, refracted through the lens of this, when that is our, the question that romance noodles sometimes, when it's refracted through the lens of this trial, it's so clear that romance really is a juggernaut still. Like, the idea of selling fewer than 2,000 copies for the majority of of traditionally published romance novels is anathema, right? Like we, in order to make the profit and loss statement work, you have to sell more than 2,000 copies. Um, And so it's just fascinating because I kept thinking about genre and I, you know, as you know, whenever anything like this happens, obviously it is my business, capital B. And so I think a lot about like romance. I think about genre. I spent a lot of time thinking about Jane Ann Krentz talking about the purpose of genre, right? This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Mary Rudder, author of the Kindle Vela serial fiction piece, 
Love on the Ropes. This is a terrific premise because we all know how much I love a woman with an amazing, cool job. And in this case, Mackenzie is a professional wrestler. Oh, yeah. Right? And she in her has like an old lover in her past, Tay. He's just like a staid businessman when something happens and all of a sudden the two of them are responsible for watching and taking care of three children. Not only do they have to let the past go, but they have to care for these kids and get along with each other. And, of course, old feelings come back to the surface. What? Yeah. All that time apart, and now they're just back together again, Sarah. (laughs) Well, if you love enemies to lovers, if you love second chance romance, if you love opposites attracting in your romance, which, of course, you do. If you love a woman, also literally kicking butt. I mean, I just need to say that, right? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And, like mayhem with children which is basically a description of our lives (laughs) you will love love on the ropes it is a kindle vela serial story head over to kindle vela for more information or you can follow mary rudder at her website maryrudder.com or on instagram at author mary rudder links as always are in show notes thanks to mary rudder for sponsoring the episode one of the first witnesses, although I'm, I don't think they're, I don't know if they're called witnesses in this kind of trial, but one of the first experts in this trial was Stephen King, who's also a genre yes. writer, right? Like lots of conversation from um, both sides of the argument about authors who are genre authors, right? Mystery, big mystery authors, big thriller authors, big um, romance authors, and the way genre carries so much of the weight of traditional publishing in in money like the the like the finances of it versus all these other books that are so Im- I'm not diminishing their importance in the world but they don't sell i mean i can't even imagine how many copies of a book stephen king must sell right i mean oh, right i mean Millions, right? Right. But his whole point, too, was like, you know, we used to have... Well, he was so interesting because he talked about how he even still today thinks about publishers as like, if he writes something that's really horror-focused... Yes. Right? A true textbook horror novel, he might bring it to a smaller publisher that can really focus on that. And I think... That's really fascinating. I mean, there were so many little fascinating pieces to this puzzle. And, um, you know, so yeah, we'll post recaps and you can draw your own conclusions about the trial itself. To me, the other thing, though, is about like this question of like, is romance keeping the lights on? Like, if you look at the top 50 books, 20 of them are calling for the Hoover. last like three years. Yeah, right? right. Like I mean, since the beginning of the pandemic. You know what? And it and so it's part of me is like I I don't know how anyone can look at those lists and think romance is not a just in a huge power position right now, right? Well, you you have to name the source, right? Like right. this is TikTok. It yes. is of course. It's hard to believe. I remember when you know the first time somebody said the words TikTok and books like book talk to me, it was like. Right out, it was like spring of 2020, and we knew that like something was going on on TikTok. But 
And I remember having multiple conversations back then where we all said like, oh, it's flash in the pan. It's just like, a, it's a random thing. It'll be gone in six months. It is not gone. Book talk is not gone. It may well be gone in six months, right? Such is social media. But like the power of TikTok in romance cannot be denied at this point. Um, and I mean, obviously there was a, you know, a, a piece in NPR that sort of vaguely touched on this, but obviously this is a, it's a very white, very young, very cis, very, you know, a, a very, like, very narrow lens that is, that is boosting these TikTok books. Yeah. Well, and it's what's interesting, I would say, is in the Y, like, the more YA space, my, it seems, at least, in YA TikTok, not just romance, right, YA TikTok, seems to be more queer friendly. At least this was the case a couple of months ago. But, you know, I... I also have big concerns about, like, you can't even say the word sex on TikTok, right? So we have all of these young people coming up with, like, new words to get around those filters, right, in order to talk about what they're reading in these books. Well, spicy, right? Spicy, right? code. Or, like, segs is, like, S-E, right? I feel like I'm, like, an old lady. Let me tell you what the kids are saying on TikTok, but... No, but when we were talking about this, like as a, you know, I had a book out August 23rd and when marketing, we had, you know, our marketing conversation and it was sort of like, well, what are the buzzwords that are on TikTok that like might help get attention for the book? I mean, that's what marketing is, right? There's been a lot over the, over the summer, there was a lot of conversation about like, should we be marketing these books via trope? And I sort of think that that's, like, not really a very interesting conversation for me in the sense that, like, marketing is marketing and we have always marketed books this in this kind of way, even though it feels a little more shorthanded now. But we're, co- we're having conversations with people in 240 characters. So, like, I guess what you and I are both fascinated by, though, is the fact that this doesn't feel like... Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter felt like we were marketing to people who are already romance readers. Oh, yeah. Right? No, that's not what's happening. That is yeah. not what's happening it's here. awesome. And that's like, the part that's exciting, I think, This both is of us. the part yeah, that I'm so excited about. So uh, at the beginning of the summer, I did an event with Christina Lauren in Connecticut for Something Wilder, which was their book that came out in May. I did an event with Tessa Bailey in August in the same place in Connecticut for uh, Heartbreaker. And the people who came, you know, there were, there were, there were a number of women who came twice, right? Like who, you know, had been at both events, but across it, you know, when you have an event like that, you end up talking to the readers who come to that event. I love talking to readers about what they're reading, like, you know, how long they've been reading. And with me often, especially when I'm there with Tessa or I'm there with Christina and Lauren, there is a sense of like, have art, a lot of people who've never tried Rome historical, but like are interested in historical. Um, and so, so many readers started reading romance in March of 2020. And we all know why. We all, I mean, because it was, it smelled like existential despair. Right? right. And romance is so joyful and hopeful and right. I mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. 
And what's so amazing is when you look at the sheer numbers that somebody like Colleen is selling, somebody like Emily is selling, um, you're looking like just so, so, so many books. Julia Quinn and the burst of Bridgerton books. I mean, Bridgerton came out December, Christmas 2020. I mean, a perfect example of like a perfect time for that show. We were all stuck at home with nothing to do on Christmas Day, right? And those books, which were 20 years old, kaboom, right? Just sticking to the bestseller list. And the fact that romance did that and was is selling so many books means those are all new, new readers. readers. Right. And I just want to say welcome. Like, I hope season five of Faded Mates is your jam. So this is all a, a way to get back to one of the things that we're going to do during season five is choose some of these books and say, if you liked it, here are a number of other romances that you'll probably like just as much. Right. Because I feel like that's the part, like the trick now for us is, okay, so listen, there is not a single romance reader out there that isn't like devastated when you hit the end of someone's backlist, right? Oh, the worst. <laughs> the worst. And so what you are constantly, so for all of, you know, Colleen Hoover's new readers out there, for all of Allie Hazelwood's new readers out there, the question is, like, what is out there for you after you hit the backlist, right? And also, I would say, look, romance, look, I, I have been, you and I have been reading romance for a long time. I, romance, if I, you know, I don't want it to change, like, from minute to minute, but if I think about how it's changed over time, of course it's changing. And so this is, like, an opportunity, right? I don't think that any of us have to feel anything but excited about the idea that there is new readers, new interest in romance, right? Like, this is something I think that we just have to like, this is a great opportunity for us to embrace those new readers, welcome to them to the fold, and say, like, hey, we've got more books for you. You don't have to feel destitute once you hit the end of Colleen Hoover's backlist. We got you. And so we are really interested if you are, a, you know, and, and by the way, we hope this will work in the inverse, right? If you're like, okay, I'm not, I've never read a Colleen Hoover book, but I love these books, so maybe this is a good place for me to start. And, you know, that's pretty cool, too. So I think that these are – there are ways in which we are really hoping that, you know, season five of Faded Mates, we have really spent a lot of time looking at the past, right, in season four because we are so invested in ourselves and our history. But I think this is a really cool opportunity for us to also be like – and, you know, who knows what the future will be like. That's exciting. It's exciting. I, mean, I just feel like every single – Oh God! So many new readers, so many and there are so readers. many books for them. I know so many books to find. I know it's gonna be great, you it guys. Welcome. The water is fine. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. So, there's a couple other things that we were gonna maybe talk about today. So, I had suggested to Sarah that we should talk about August 23rd. <laughs> yes, let's talk about August 23rd. Well. I August 23rd was weird, right? Because it okay, so the reason August 23rd it, I keep thinking about is because it felt like every single romance novel that I was looking forward to all summer from trade publishing was released essentially on that day. 
And I feel like I'm curious about that only because it seemed different. Like it seems like it used to be that like, you know, traditional publishing would sort of meter out like one new book a week. And now there seem to be migrating more to like they all come out on the same day at like the last day of the month. And I was like, is there like, you know how cops are always pulling people over on the last day of the month, to, like make their budget. Is that what's happening here? Like what's going on? I don't, I mean, that's a good question. And one of our trailblazers is an uh, coming as an editor and we could ask her that exact question because the final Tuesday of June is the final day of the fiscal quarter, like the final right. Tuesday of the fiscal quarter, sure. right? So it would make sense that they'd want like to really. Sure. You know, I mean, like, certainly that's summer, right? That's right. A, a lot of big books come out in late May and early June. Yeah. Not just because it's summer, but also because, like, you can end your fiscal year with, like... A bang. Yeah. Your I mean, think of it... Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can you can end your, your... The whole... It's the end of the year. So the... um, But the last Tuesday of the month has always been, like... And what's interesting is in publishing, and this is really inside baseball, but... It used to be that the last Tuesday of August was actually a September book. That's what they called it because mm. all the real po- – the, the, the sales were all posted yeah. the next Well, this month. is what happens in like December, right? Like if your book comes out the last week of December, it's really the next year's book, correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it. well, it was. It's not anymore. I don't know. <laughs> but then – with that was really mass markety. I mean, yeah. that wasn't the case with hardcovers. Wasn't the case with trades. Mm, um, yeah. Okay. And now you now there are like, you know, I don't know. Evelyn Hugo just came out last week, or not? Evelyn Carrie Soto. You know, Carrie Soto is back. Came out last week, and that's a you know that's obviously a huge book for the fall. They're expecting. So, um, I think that what we're I think you know that last Tuesday of the month thing is going away in in a lot of ways. Another sort of tradition that's just not necessary anymore because you can put trade paperbacks out whenever, you know, anytime. Yeah. You can put anything out anytime now. So it's also probably about we're going to – we'll put that on our question list for the editor that we're going to interview because it feels like um, – there's got to be another good reason, which is something like, you know, probably they paid for four weeks of, you know, space for the books before. And so, sure. you know, they rotate them out once a month and it just makes it easier for everyone. Yeah. But that day, right, I – now, again, it was – this was mostly a traditionally published day, right? I I, I don't – I mean, I don't know anybody outside of uh, Chelsea Cameron, I think, had a new release that day, and she's indie. But I mean, I, I think, love Chelsea's books. Yeah, too. I do too. And I, we should so what, look up the we're going to put all of these books in. Yeah. Um, we're going to put all these books in show notes. Yeah. So that you because can see what we're the problem about. is, is like, and this is why I was calling it a buzzsaw, right? Like, top line, you've got Heartbreaker. Ruby Fever, if you're a paranormal person, right? The, and the the third book of the second mm-hmm. Hidden Legacy trilogy, right? So book six in Hidden Legacy. Mm-hmm. And you also have Allie Hazelwood's Love on the Brain. I mean, that is just that's a big, huge... That's a big combo. That's a big, right? So you've got like... And... But then you have like kind of, you know... It was historic. I mean... His, right? You have... The historicals that came out mm-hmm. that day were... Right? You have Miss Be- Be- Bev's yeah. To Catch Beverly a Raven. Jenkins's To Catch a Raven. Sophie Jordan's yep. Scoundrel Falls Hard. Um, Eva Devon's Much Ado About Dukes. 
Was that that week? I think. Um, Emily Sullivan's The Hellion and the Hero. Yes. Emily's a great historical writer. And then J.J. McAvoy's first historical, right. Aphrodite and the Duke, um, which I saw everywhere. Yeah, right. So then, so th- and, and so it was, it just felt like if you weren't, it was so easy to kind of lose sight of the, you know, kind of newer books, debut books, smaller books. And I'm, I do not say that in a pejorative way, right? Like, it's just hard no. if, if, if you're in the wake of love on the brain that day and heartbreaker, right? Like, that's a big thing. So one of the things that I was trying to do was really look up, like, what were some of the other books that came out that week? Um, there was also the People Are Loving, a book called The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy, Mm-hmm, um, which is a fantasy, those oof. of you who um, who are l- always looking for us to talk more about fantasy. Yep. I have not read it, but um, I'm excited to. Kate read it and loved it. Um, the other thing that came out that week that I honestly, like, I loved it so much that I went back and read, I'm now reading the first book in the series, is I read, it's a small town series called Blue Cedar Falls by Jeannie Chin, and I read Return to Cherry Blossom Way, and I loved it so much, that also came out on the 23rd, that I went back, and now I'm reading the first book in the series called The Inn on Sweetbriar Lane, and these are, like, I, I and I was so charmed. I'm so charmed Wait, by these books. Wait, can we do some more? Yeah. I have others. Oh yeah, too. there's so many. It's oh well, Piper wild. Rain. Who we we, we love have, Piper who, Rain. Yes, Piper Rain have been on the pod. Piper and Rain have been on the podcast before. Um, their book, uh, My Fake Fiance, featuring a plus size heroine. So I'm for it. Came out then. Um, also, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches came out that day. That's by Sangu Mandana. I'm sorry if I mispronounced oh, that's right. that. That's right. Um, and that's like about a orphanage for young girls who are also witches. <laughs> but also they're like, it sounds like the woman who runs the orphanage falls in love uh, over the course of the book. And then Naima, our favorite, had a, a desire out called Black Sheep Bargain, which was delicious and rebecca zanetti had uh, started a series wolf it's called it's just called wolf and i'm for it and jennifer ryan oh that's right i picked up writes a great romantic suspense um has a book called surrendering to hunt out and so like i mean it just and jennifer ryan is a hugely popular contemporary author so they're just it's it was an embarrassment of riches, and honestly. I'm, yeah, and I'm sure we have not even, We've like, missed so many. I mean, so, I mean, I will go back and look. Go ahead. Keep going. Jen. We missed Ivy Owens. So, Ivy Owens is one half of Christina Lauren. Lauren is, is, has written a contemporary celebrity romance called Scandalized um, under the name Ivy Owens, and that debuted August 23rd. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Blair Babylon, author of A Billionaire in Disguise, the first book in the Royal Billionaire Romance series. Look, I love it. Just layer the tropes right off one on top of another, and I'm just going to put them straight into my brain. (laughs) 
Jen, everyone tells you that a reckless tryst at a party will ruin your life. Except in romance. Not in romance, it won't. In romance, that tryst will end you up with a hot billionaire who just so happens to have a royal secret. So our heroine is a small town girl who's super broke and she goes to a party and she makes what she thinks is a terrible mistake with tall, ripped, tantalizing wolf. Listen, with his you're not. Everyone Sapphire. out there, if he is no. tall, rich, tantalizing, and his name is Wolf, it is not a mistake. I promise you. I mean, that all signs point to this being a very, very good idea. So anyway, he's hot. He's super ripped under his tuxedo. He's super rich and also apparently into some wild stuff, if you know what I mean. And I think you do, Jennifer. I like this. Blair Babylon writes what we like to call thrillers that bang. So if you like thrillers that bang, because we do here at Faded Mates, you should try Blair. The first book in her Billionaire in Disguise series is available right now for free in ebook. Yeah, and then you can pick up the rest of the series because you are going to move right through them. So thank you to Blair for sponsoring this week's episode of Faded Mates. That's why I've been calling it the buzzsaw, right? Just because I was like, you cannot possibly. It was, I had so many books arriving at my house that day. I pre-ordered so many, right? On various like pre-order now kind of things. So there were so many good books that came out that day that it was hard to keep up with them all. And the thing that's hard about that with romance, I uh, the thing I am sad about, I guess I would say is it's not a bad thing. It's a nice thing. There are always new books coming out, right? Mm -hmm. That it sometimes is hard for like to get enough oxygen, right? In the, in, on a day like that, where we just listed probably what 20, it feels like 20 books that came out. How can you read them all in one week before like the next group of them start coming out? And so that's why it was, it's been kind of fun, I think for us to kind of think, okay, how can we go back and read some of these and pay attention to them and not necessarily like let them just like get away from us? How can we like, you know, kind of keep some of these circulating. So we really wanted to spend some time on our first episode being like, hey, listen, you think you got what you needed on August 23rd, but you need to go back. There's still more books out there that you missed because yes. it was impossible to keep up with them all. It it was a big day and it was and you know what it felt like? It felt like a real old fashioned romance yes. day. Yes. Like this is something that it almost it just doesn't feel this way at very often anymore but we're like there's there's like a big book that's coming out and everyone yes. is excited yeah. and part of that is because you know we talked for example in the first season we talked about Lothair right which yeah. so it's season 5 first episode our first season um was focused on Cressley Cole's Immortals After Dark series, for those of you who are new to us this week. Um, and that season, we talked about Lothair, which is, you know, I don't know, I don't remember, number 10 of the series or mm -hmm. whatever it is. And that was really the moment where the series, the series had grown and grown and grown and grown, but Lothair was the book that everybody was waiting for, and, like, they wrapped a bus with oh, his face, yes. and they sent Cressley all over the country on, like, a big tour, and people waited in line at midnight to get this book and it felt like oh there's a big book coming out mm -hmm. that happens less now and the reason why it happens less is because romance is so much bigger now yes. right there is right the pool is so much bigger 
self-publishing and indie publishing is such a like rich community of readers yeah um and and authors and and tropes and topics and you know everything there's just there's something for everyone now in romance in a way that like even you know 15 years ago there was not right and so now like because of that there are fewer and fewer huge like books that everybody in the whole right in the whole community is watching reading at the same time exactly right but august 23rd felt like some there was something for everyone that day yes absolutely absolutely and that's it and it was great it was great i feel like that's how it should feel right we even looking at it like i'm kind of like seeing like what did we miss right you were right about much ado about the dukes by ava devon there's also a Susanna allen historical these are really cool historical paranormals called a duke at the door that came Mm. out that day i mean it was wild how many books came out and just really like i said i think that's exactly how it felt it felt like an exciting day like all day on twitter people were like oh my god what are you reading today because there was just so much that had like sort of hit you know everybody was like i just got six books delivered and that's listen i love that feeling it was really really cool cool. so it's a big day it felt really old-fashioned and I really liked it. So, and there were some, I mean, I've read several of those books now, and like, they're just, every one of them was great. So, so head out to your, to your store, your local store. <laughs> yes. And do that because it, it was really fun. Yeah. Um, what else do we want to talk about? We had, do we want to do this really fun question we got? Which was oh yeah, let's talk okay. about it. So I think we have one more thing we're gonna maybe do this morning. Um, I know this is like just a all over the place episode, but it's you know my arm's broken. I'm doing the best I can. Oh wait, <laughs> well first before we do that, yeah. can we talk about? Did you have you read anything over the last couple of weeks? Oh, you said Jeannie Chin. Oh my god, I'm so into these Jeannie Chin books, you guys. I'm like eating the oh listen the first one, which is like the one about the inn. Um, listen, this is, you will love this too. Like, you know how you have these things that is like, you're just like your catnip. He, it's like small town, but which is not really my catnip. That's what, here's the other thing, you know, like the exception that proves the rule. That's how these books fail to me. So, um, June Wu is, uh, like runs the local inn and all of a sudden the guy buys the quilt shop next door and is just like doing crazy mad, like noisy construction all night. The quilt shop I know, listen, he's turning it into a bar. He is an ex-military guy. His name's Clay. So this is not the one that came out August 23rd. Everybody, I'll talk more about that later, but you're going to go back and read book number one. You're going to thank me. Book number one is Clay is ex-military and his best friend who like died in action grew up in the same town. And his goal, his dream was like, and his friend's name was Bug, was like he's going to go back or his like, you know, army name or whatever, go back and like open up a bar on Main Street and just like make it like Main Street was always too cutesy for Bug, but he wanted a place for like regular people. And so June and Clay are like essentially kind of, you know, little they've got a little enemies to lovers kind of vibe at the beginning because he thinks everyone in this town is going to hate what he's up to. But she's like, I want to help you. Like I want to revitalize this town. And I feel like the other thing I've always struggled with in, um, 
you know, small town romances, like how is this small town staying alive? And this book is really explicitly dealing with that. Like, right. Like what are the struggles these small businesses are facing and how are they trying to like drum up support and the local community, but also as like a tourist destination to keep their town alive. But like, it's hot. Like he's taciturn and doesn't want to talk. He just wants to like rip shit out and build his bar. And I'm like, listen, this is great. This is great. I love it. I am super into it. Like, all I want to do now is read Jeannie Chin books. That's how I feel. I love it, too. Um, I tore through the Mila Finelli series, finally. Oh, yeah. Mm. <sighs> Man, <laughs> that last one, Mafia Madman. Yep. Wowzer. Wowzer. <laughs> These books are so hot. They're mafia romances, so, you know, take yes. that with a grain of, like, a whole side of salt, salt lick, <laughs> if you will. Um, they're so hot. These heroes are, I mean, would we say heroes? They are so intense. This particular hero, the yes. mafia madman hero, is so intense. And, I mean, real has really been through been through it. Yes. And is out for blood. Yes. And so he kidnaps the sister-in-law of his enemy. I know. And Fine. keeps her in a cage on her boat. And I just... Yes. It was great. It I was, was great. really for it, honestly. I was <laughs> yeah. like, okay. I... I mean, I was yes, all right then. I, I worked on that book, and I... I it was really fun to kind of be like, I think you could do more with this cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well done. Um, I also have to say um, I started on The Hustle this morning. Oh, God, that's on my and, list. Yeah. Which is Adriana Herrera's Gosh, so uh, good. new book that's out in October. You can pre-order it now. The heroine um, is – the heroine is – uh, has like a a real job, <laughs> but also on the side, like her dream, her like side hustle is interior design of bedrooms in the style of your favorite book, which honestly sounds like the greatest thing oh ever. God. And like, I'm sort of tempted to like call Adriana and say like, would you just like, could you do this just for my bedroom, <laughs> which remains unpacked after six months of living in this house? Oh, you're making fun of um, little romance for not unpacking. And now we I'm see not, the I mean, truth. <laughs> I just, here, here, you know what? Game, game sees game. Yeah. <laughs> game acknowledges game. <laughs> there you um, go. Funny. So, no, I just think this is such a cool job. And so like, basically, if you love... You know, uh, if you love Milla, Milla Vane's, yeah. you know, A Heart of Blood and Ashes, <laughs> this character will build you, yes. you know, a fur-filled, yeah. um, you know, bedroom for you to, you know, explore your kink in. It sounds, it's so fun already. I'm like two chapters in and I'm wild about it. And I mean, look, Adriana writes a sexy book. She writes a heroine who is who knows exactly what she wants in this particular case the hero is about to chase her like fully across the country um because he realizes he made a big mistake and i feel confident that she's going to make him suffer uh, as it should be this episode of faded mates is sponsored by lumi labs creators of microdose gummies 
Microdosing has been around for a long time, is commonly associated with psychedelics, wellness, performance enhancement, and creativity. And there are lots of benefits if you are looking to try something that is going to chill you out ever so slightly. Listen, and I just want to say, I went on vacation at the end of August, and it was a week at the beach, and I had like been going through some stress leading up to it, and so I decided I was going to try these in the morning for the day, and it was great. I woke up, I took one, and then I just like vibed for the day. And when I say that, these are truly microdose. This does not feel like anything that you are imagining if you've never microdosed. They're just tiny little doses of something that'll just give you a certain sense of like calm or creativity or, you know, whatever it is that you get from your microdosing. They really do taste and feel amazing. Um, I've used them for like chilling out, as I've said, like just sort of um, putting me in the mood to sleep, which has been really important. Um, They're definitely a 10 out of 10 for me. They are also available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use the code FADEDMATES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. We'll put the link in show notes, of course, but once again, microdose.com and the code is FADEDMATES. Thanks to Lumi Labs for sponsoring the episode. You know what else I read that was um, really that I think we'll end up talking about some more is uh, Faded Mate's favorite Kennedy Ryan has a new book coming out. Oh, yeah, Before I Let Go. Which has a gorgeous cover. Right? Oh, stunning. It is so beautiful. And Forever. Everybody at Forever in the design department gets a raise. Yeah. And, you know, that's like a big, like, Kennedy, nobody really does, like, a kind of a saga, like a real, like, drama-filled, no. angsty if you saga, like, right? If you like Danielle Steele, read yes. Kennedy Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. how I feel about Kennedy. And, you know, it's also, it's not even just, like, marriage and trouble. I mean, these folks got divorced. And now yep. they are I love it. getting I love it back it. together, which is pretty great. Um, and also, you know, what else I read that was really fun is um, Macmillan is reprinting Stacey Abrams' Selena Montgomery titles and fun. Rules of Engagement, which is um, their very romantic suspense um, is coming out, I think, either out this week or sometime in September. So that's also pretty cool um, to see those coming back out, again, with some really beautiful new covers. This one's really striking. It's one that's red, and it's mm-hmm. a, a, the woman's in profile, and it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. I fell into Victoria Vale uh, in the last two weeks, too, Um Victoria Vale is a historic, an erotic historical author who often gets recommended to me whenever I say, like, you know, who's got a sexy historical for me? And I had somehow, like, I downloaded a bunch of her books but never read any of them. Um, and if you love, if you're looking for, like, erotic romance in a historical setting with a real deal antihero, um, the Villain by Victoria Vale. It's the first in a duology. It ends on a cliffhanger. Sorry, Jen. Is the second one out yet? Yep. Oh, okay. All right. That's all I need to know, Sarah. That's all I need to know. Okay. So that's good. So wait. So now let's get to the question. Now we've we've re- we've recommended a lot of books. 
I mean, hello. we've done the job. We have done the job. Okay, so we got a really, really fun question from a pretty new listener, and I was I was just really charmed by this question. And so let me read it to you. Let me find where I put it, first of all. Um, one of our newer listeners, a woman named Julie, sent us the following tweet. It said, um, Faded Mates, I'm still catching up, but have you all done an episode on introducing romance to kids? When is it age appropriate or less graphic? Does it have to be? I would love your thoughts on this. And then the follow-up tweet is really funny. I have an eight-year-old who shares my library account. So I often hear, Mom, your hold for dark demon desires during deep, dusky, dark, doom, dark is ready. Want me to check it out for you? I assume at some point she'll get curious. And I was like, I could not love that question anymore. So listen, also, I just want to, I want to just pause and acknowledge that that is obviously reference to dark desires after dusk. No. Yeah. To dark needs at at night's night's edge. edge. (laughs) dark, Dark needs at night's edge are baby Conrad Roth. Who is the greatest beta who ever lived? I love, I love anyway. him. I love him. <laughs> so, um, anyway, well, my answer, as I said, I'm on the record already on Twitter yeah. for this. Um, but my answer was that I have here on my desk Lily Chu's Delightful, the yes. stand in, yes. um, which is a celebrity sort of switcheroo romance. Mm-hmm. There's a movie star, a Chinese movie star who is, who has like basically a, a doppelganger yeah. and she, the movie star needs to take a break for reasons. And the doppelganger has to step in and like pretend to be her. And then there's like a handsome other movie star and it's, you know, of course. chaos ensues shenanigans. Anybody um, could read that book. Yeah. So my daughter V loves the cover of this book. Um, and it is adorable. It's it like is really a cute. very cute yes. cover. Um, and she asked me what it was about. And I, explain the plot of the book and she understood instinctively that there was high conflict yes, here like right. oh my god what happens when everybody finds out right right and she was like can i read it and i said sure and i gave it to her because she's 8 yeah. and i was like let's see also right. this book is fairly tame yeah there's- i think there's kissing only in that book maybe yeah um and she got a few pages in and then Abandon it yeah. because it was too. It was not wasn't for very her. Right. Exciting in the first couple of pages for her, like she's for an eight. eight-year-old, right? Exactly. She really needs like a big explosion at the very beginning, and so um, it is an extremely delightful book, by the way. Of course, for not eight-year-olds. <laughs> so, um, so my answer was, why not? Right, because they're gonna wander away if it's not for if they're them. not ready. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that is, you know, I, this, I think one of the things I'm going to say that Sarah and I both started reading romance when we were in middle school. Right. Um, And I mean, like, you know, yeah, yeah, I, so it was, I mean, I started reading like Sweet Valley High. I mean, like it's looking back, it's clear. I was always like romance oriented. Right. Of course. You know, like I think back now and about how much I love like, Luke and Leia kissing and Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, oh, I've been this way my entire life, right? Um, I think the thing that I, I would say is if you are, if you think you have a child who might be interested in romance, um, the easiest thing to do is like leave around, like if you leave books around and your kids are bored enough, they will pick them up if they're readers, 
right? Mm-hmm. And if there's something that, and and I guess I would say for me, the concern isn't about reading about sex. I, I other people might differ, and that's fine. Um, I would be far more worried about my child picking up a Reacher book and reading all that violence, right? But you know, different people are different. But what I would say is, um, you know, our I, and I'm sure I've said this before. Our culture is very good at teaching us passively about the subjugation of like women and people of color and marginalized people, queer people, right? Like, so if you are not actively counteracting that, right? If you're not actively thinking, how can I counter message this? The society will do it for you. And so for me, it, I have said over and over again, and I understand that like not every romance is feminist, right? I understand that there are romances out there that could be, you know, have some harmful messaging about a woman's place in her relationship. But I think a lot of mainstream kind of trade romance or, or right, is really a story about people who right? They, they care about their jobs. They care about their families. They want to find love and happiness. Right? Genre drives us to be our best Yes. Self. And so I would Any have... Any more words of Jane Yes. Ingram. I would have zero feelings at all about my kid reading any book that I... that like that. You know what I mean? And the thing about the sex part, I think, for a lot of people is it is a strange assumption for me to assume that your kid by middle school has not seen porn. Really? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And I and I and I know that listen, I know that is very hard to hear. But your it is so the internet makes it so easy for ch- for children to see porn. Right? I mean even on Twitter. <laughs> Like, I mean, I had a a friend who was like, yeah, my kid was looking like Oh, if you search for something all the time, I I find myself accidentally. I accidentally found something. What's happening? So if you're... Um, Well, but I would say eight-year-olds. Not eight-year-olds, of course. Like, I'm pretty sure that my eight-year-old, and hopefully this eight-year-old too, hasn't quite gotten there yet. Right. But I'm talking middle schoolers, sorry. Middle school, for sure. So I would say, you know, if you have middle schoolers who are readers... I would far rather my middle school child of any gender read any romance novel than... Yeah. Right? I agree. So... I also think... I do think that there is something to, like, knowing what your kids are reading. Yeah. Right? Like, maybe you don't start them with Conrad Ross. Of course not. Right? Of course not. I mean, right? sweet baby. Right. But also... But, like, if she had been into Lily Chu... Sure. Yes. Sure. A thousand percent. Like, whatever you want to read. Because I've read that book. I know how she... I know what goes on in that book. I'm happy. And and also, you know, and I think that that is a big piece of the puzzle with readers. Like, she's going to tear through books. And so as long as we're in a position where... I know what she's reading, mm-hmm. and I when she whenever I'm reading, she's like, "What's your, what's your book about?" And it used to be when she was four, it was you know, it's about people falling in love. But now I tell her the like the like more the plot, line, yeah. plot, and she's interested in that stuff. Yeah, and so um, I guess, but that's none of this is as helpful as like, what where do you start? Like, if somebody's interested, if like you have an eight year old and they're interested in romance, 
where do you begin? There are great middle grade books, right? Which uh, uh, often are like kind of categorized as eight to 12. That So I would go back and listen to our YA romance episode, right? Like, so for example, there is a YA author named Barbara D who has wrote a book about like a, a, I think a girl in fifth or sixth grade and they're putting on, I think the book is called Star-Crossed. And she's putting on, um, they're putting on a play of like Romeo and Juliet at school. And, you know, she's like a little confused because she likes her friend who is a girl and her friend who is a boy. Right. And it's very age appropriate. There is another mm-hmm. book by that same author, though, that is about like essentially like what you do when there's you're sort of like there's catcalling or right like what what do girls do when when they are targeted for being girls mm-hmm. i mean so there and i think that to me is the biggest difference between like when we were readers like there was sweet valley high there was sort of like some there was definitely like books for younger readers and then it felt like it was like boom adult books and i feel like now the world of kid lit is so robust mm-hmm. It's so robust that if you would go to your local library, if you think they're not bigoted, <laughs> right, and say, like, hey, my kid is really interested in, you know, kind of these, like, real sweet love stories or interested in, like, these kind of proto-romances, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And a lot of them are about how important it is to be a good friend, right? Yeah. Because the truth is the basis of all good relationships is being a good friend, yeah. And I think that there's tons and tons and tons of books that, that you know, your kid might like that essentially could be, like, uh, at some point an on-ramp to romance. But, no, I mean, w- would I give an 8-year-old, like, these books? But, no. But would I stop them from reading them? I wouldn't either. And I will say one of the things that has been hard for me, a- and I understand, like, look, everybody is different. But sometimes I will see people who say, like, oh, yeah, I started reading romance when I was in middle school, kind of balk at giving their kids romance because of the sex. And I'm like, look, are you sex positive or not? And I know that's hard. That's tricky. It's tricky. Right? Um, I'll say not to toot my own horn, but if you are a Sarah McLean fan and and your kids seem to be interested in historical stuff – um, there is a YA novel by Sarah McLean called The Season. It is very, very sweet. Yes. There is a there in fact, I wrote it for a publisher who told me that these kids could not be in a bed together. Sure. So they of course sit they sit on a bed together Fine. and smooch. She's I think 17, the main character, but it is very sweet. The I thing I really like cling to at these moments is to remember, which is, look, I talk all the time about like why I want to read romance, right? Why do I want to read romance? I want to read about feelings and I want to read about every, I want to read about books where like women and girls and, and, you know, like everyone who's a main character is important, right? It's not like I'm just, you know, no, no character is just like a, there to right make the other character feel feelings necessarily like right i'm not fridging anybody but the thing about those books is those feelings when you are first like oh my god i think i might like someone do they like me i have a feeling, I have a feeling. those are you don't have to have 
even hand-holding in a book to have that feeling be present. Exactly. Right? I would, um, I also just want to acknowledge that, like, some kids are not ready at eight to be thinking about this stuff, or they know their friends are thinking about it, and they aren't thinking about it, and I have a recommendation for a book for those kids, too. And it's called Drew LeClaire Gets a Clue. And Drew LeClaire is named for Nancy Drew, and she is obsessed with a true crime, like, podcast. I mean, she's in the she's in middle school. I think she's in sixth grade, maybe seventh. But my eight-year-old is obsessed with this book, and it has a great audiobook, too. Um, and Drew's – when the book begins, there's a lot going on in Drew's life. Her parents are getting divorced. You know, it's rough. She's in the middle school, and she's having a rough time. And her best friend, who is a boy – um, of many years, it turns out like a couple weeks earlier, kissed her, and now it's awkward mm. because she didn't want to kiss him back. Yeah, and so he has feelings. She has no feelings at all for him. But then, over the course of the book, it starts to feel like maybe she just isn't. She's there's like it's, it could be that maybe she doesn't have feelings for anybody. There, it's possible she's she's sort of navigating the concept of like, do, am I ace? Like, right. And then it's sort of, then there's a girl who like maybe she has feelings for her and it's then then it's sort of like there's a moment where there's a question of like well wait, maybe I'm bi or maybe like but over the course of this book Drew does not find romance but she does explore herself. I love and this. And like the way she feels and it feels really authentic. Also the rep in this book is great. Um there are fat characters and there are characters of color and there are characters uh, across the spectrum of um, gender and sexuality. And I just love, I love, love, love this book. My daughter's read it multiple times now. Um, I love that. And there's also like a great mystery. Somebody has like created an Instagram account and they're like posting embarrassing stuff about other kids in the school and Drew and her friends are like trying to figure out who the bad guy is. And it's just, it's very fun. Um, but also has lots of that complicated stuff in it. Well, and that's, you know what? I think we are so lucky. Kids these days are so lucky to have books like this, right? Where mm-hmm. we... Oh, we didn't have this. We didn't, no. I mean, there was only, there was only like cishet romance and like, you know, and I, and I feel like the other thing I would just say to those of you out there with like kids who are like starting because maybe you're worried, like not worried, but maybe you're... Like, are they curious? You're wondering, sorry, if they're curious. The thing to remember is, like, try to avoid being heteronormative, right? Like, don't say to your kids, like, oh, you know, if you have a girl, don't be like, oh, do you like boys? Like, you can talk instead about, like, who you'd want to make a family with. Like, who are your friends? You know, don't – who's someone you might want to date one day? Like, there's so many ways to just subtly signal to your kids that you love them and you want them to find the happiness of their own identity. And it's not about sort of necessarily, right, like, I'm going to assume that, like, every girl is going to date a boy one day, et cetera, or, you know, to just use the phrase all genders instead of the other gender. Like there's so many subtle ways in which you as a parent can just really signal like this is your journey that you're on. And we as parents or as aunties or as friends are here to help you like figure out what that might mean. And there are more books than ever. And, you know, I at an upcoming episode, we're going to talk about what's happening in libraries because we're very concerned about it. But, 
you in your home have a lot of power and a lot of ways that you can put your kids in charge of their own identity as friends, as future, a future person who may or may not be interested in romance or sex. And we are really lucky to have books that center a lot of those experiences in ways that are really friendly to kids. Yes. If you are listening and you have a great uh, recommendation for a book for somebody who's 8 to 12 or 8 to 15 who's, like, asking questions or seems to be into romance, but, you know, where do we go from here? Please let us know on Twitter at Fatamates or on Instagram at FatamatesPod. We'll share them when we get them. We'll retweet them and and share them. And um, thanks for asking us that cool question. It's a great question. I started reading romance when I was, like, 10, and I didn't understand a word of it. And it's fine. You know, Velvet Cave. I understood those feelings. Exactly. And I was like, I want that. Um... That is the end of episode one of season five. Next week, we will be back with Marrying Winterborn. Yeah. Will it be Marrying Winterborn next week? We'll it could out. be. Who can say? You better rush out and get it. Um, Marrying Winterborn is by our very, very favorite Lisa Kleypas, who we love more than anything. Lisa, if you're listening, please come on the podcast. We'd love to have you anytime. Uh, Derek Craven Day is coming. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, what else? I've already talked about Twitter and Instagram. You can find more, including show notes and transcripts for our Trailblazer episodes. are going up slowly. Thanks to Caroline for transcribing for us. Um, you can find all of that at fatedmates.net. And thank you to our sponsors this week, Blair Babylon, Lumi Labs, and Mary Rudder. We can, you can support us by supporting our sponsors. Have a great week, everybody.